last week I began a mini-series, all right? This is a two-part series. I'll begin something new next week. But the Lord dealt with me a few weeks back about talking to you about the subject of grace, but not from the perspective that I have already taught on a couple occasions. And like I mentioned to you last week, there are a couple of really good series on our website that you can download, listen to for free on the grace of God. It's more, it's more of a what is it, how to walk in it, how to live in it, etc. This message is coming from the other angle, and it's what grace is not. What grace is not. I shared with you uh, last week that just like in many Bible truths, there tends to be something in human beings to, uh, if you call the truth the middle of the road, to get off into a ditch on one side of the road or the other. But we should always be mindful of what is accurate, what is true. And how many know being accurate is important? I don't mean we all have to have perfect knowledge and understanding and be right about everything because none of us are. But there are, there, there are disadvantages to being wrong about anything. And there are advantages to being right. That's why I'm in continual pursuit of the knowledge of God and truth in my life. Jesus said when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Right? That means if I always look at it this way, if I'm bound up in any area of my life, that is, an, that is evidence that I'm believing something that's not true. Okay? So there are great advantages to being right. Okay? And, uh, and so when we talk about uh, the grace of God, it can be so life-altering in a positive way. It can be empowering, freeing. It delivers us from bondage, from condemnation, from guilt. How many know a lot of people live as if, as if God's kind of unhappy and God's angry with them and, and, and that's His disposition towards their life? That's not true. Because of Jesus, He looks upon us with favor. Amen. His grace is available to everyone. And, and so these things are very, very, very powerful, but some have gone in the ditch on the other side of the road. And when they talk about the grace of God, it's really something that has caused them to not be all they can be in the Lord. It's caused them to do less than they did before. And it's really just a little twist of the, the, the true message that would empower them like it's supposed to, okay? Because of God's grace, we can all walk close with God. We can experience His blessings. We can walk in His best and live without condemnation. But the knowledge of God's kindness toward us should never remove common sense, should never remove a commitment to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Just the opposite, what it does is it helps me to see and understand everything. And it empowers me to walk in all of God's plan, all of His goodness, all of His will, His perfect plan for my life. It is an energizing, empowering, enabling force that is to work in all of our hearts and minds, making a major difference. Everybody with me so far? All right. The Apostle Paul made a statement in, uh, in Acts chapter 20. He said, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. 
So he wasn't just focused on a little part. He wasn't just focused on a, a couple favorite verses or favorite truths. No, he, he, he had an obligation, a responsibility to share with them everything about the Lord. To the, the whole counsel of God. And that's what we need to be involved with today. We need to be balanced, we need to be well-rounded, we need to be well-grounded in the Word of God. Let me say it again, an absence of the knowledge of God's Word can be quite troublesome, can be quite destructive. Remember Hosea 4, 6, said, my, the, the Lord said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It is when we, uh, we miss something that we're supposed to know that destruction comes to a person's life. And the Lord wants to save us from that. Amen. Aren't you glad for the, the prayers in Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians as well? But that, that we might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Praise God for the knowledge of God's will. And so I, I shared with you last week that number one, first of all, grace is not, number one, a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. And I know some people say, well, gr- people sin without a license. And that's, that's true. And, and, but, but grace is not a, a, a freebie in the sense of go ahead and live however you want. See, the, the, the truth of the matter is just because we know that we're forgiven, that should not be an open door to go back into what we've been forgiven of. It is to be an empowerment, a freedom to live a, away from and apart from, separate from sin. That's what God wants us to live in. Praise the Lord. And so, number one, again, I don't want to repeat all the things I've already said, but it is not a license to sin. It is rather an empowerment to live righteous, an empowerment and an ability from God to live free. If you you ever see a person that is just living in, a Christian now, living in blatant sin and yet saying, oh, I'm just living in God's grace, that's a contradiction. Because the grace of God not only forgives, it also empowers. All right. Number two, I told you that grace is not a reason to be idle. Grace is not a reason to be idle. Throughout the scriptures, throughout the examples that we have before us, we know that when a person walks in the grace of God, they don't do less, they do more. They don't do smaller things, they do bigger things. It's just not unto salvation. It's not unto righteous standing or a right place with God. It doesn't improve God's love for you when you do better, when you do more, when you live right and do a lot of things for Him. But at the same time, when I'm really walking in the grace of God, I'm not just a lazy, good for nothing, not doing anything. We see from in the scriptures that the wisdom of God says the lazy guy's in trouble. <laughs> he, he's, not gonna, he's not gonna experience abundance and blessing in his life, but is when someone operates in the power of the living Christ, the grace of God, they will be active. Everybody say active. All right. God is not interested in a bunch of, you know, pew sitters. <laughs> Come on. What is he interested? How about water walkers? Those that do what they cannot do. Those that see what they cannot see. Those that experience God's abundance and blessing in their lives. Number three, everybody ready? Number three today, what grace is not, it is not a life of lawlessness. Grace is not a life of lawlessness. Now, I know the word law has, has um, taken a real negative connotation. I've taught for many hours 
against it myself. <laughs> but when we say law, we're talking about how a believer, a New Testament, New Covenant believer, they are not under the law of Moses. And that is all the laws and commandments, the Ten Commandments, the, the hundreds of other commandments of the Old Testament, the regulations, the rules. I mean, that is so clearly stated in the New Testament again and again and again throughout Romans and Galatians and other places that we are not to live under the law. But that references, again, the law of Moses, the, the commandments that he gave him to govern Israel, basically for the end result that they would come to an end of their selves, realize that they would always fall short of God's glory, that they could not live a perfect, righteous, sinless life, and they would look for a Savior. Amen? I mean, you know, that's what the intention of the law of Moses was. You come to your end and you say, God, help. And there Jesus is on the cross paying for your sins and for mine. Up from the grave on the third day and he's alive now. And, and, and those things are true. But now, since we have that truth established... I don't know, is that considered established after 30 seconds of explaining? But (laughs) it is a well-established Bible doctrine and and truth. We, We should understand that the word law in and of itself is not evil. It's not bad. In fact, you know what? It's a New Testament word. And not just speaking against it, but speaking for it. Let me give you an example of the word law used in a positive way in the New Testament. All right. Romans 3.27 refers to the law of faith. The law of faith. Is that the, is that the law of Moses? No, that's different. All right. Or what's called the Mosaic law. No, the law of faith. Romans 8.2 mentions the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Galatians 6.2 Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The what? The law of Christ. Well, that's interesting that Christ and law could be in the same sentence. James 1.25 refers to the perfect law of liberty. The perfect law of liberty. It's also mentioned in, in James 2.12 as well. James 2.8, James 2.8 refers to, to love or loving your neighbor as yourself as the royal law, as the royal law, okay? All those times when the Bible uses the, the, the language of law, it's done two and four New Testament grace-filled believers, and it's used in a positive way. And so when we say we're not under the law, that's not to refer to lawlessness, that we have no governing authority in our lives. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself by saying that. But I think we can see this on a practical level. If you get pulled over by the policeman, uh, police officer on your way out of, you know, church here today, that would be a sad thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> I went to church and got a ticket. Uh, I mean, tomorrow, or yesterday, yesterday. <laughs> if you got pulled over and, uh, and the police officer says to you, you're doing 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, how many know what the correct response is? Um, excuse me, but I am not under the law. <laughs> right, right? Say, no, I, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in the Lord, and we are under grace. I mean, Jesus nailed those ordinances to the cross. <laughs> 
No. We recognize that though we are, quote, not under the law, in another real sense, we are under the law. <laughs> and, uh, and the Bible tells us actually in 1 Peter 2.13, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Submit yourself to who? Every ordinance of, of man. And so the Lord has not given us all. The Lord doesn't give you a speed limit. Thank you, Lord. Well, man does, and he says, follow it. Bummer, huh? <laughs> yeah. But are we under law? Well, it depends what you mean by that. It, it, really, it really depends what you mean by that. Am I under the, the hundreds of commandments of the Old Testament that I have to live by this and I can't do these things on certain days? And, and, and I mean, there's just a gazillion of them. Uh, the answer is no. I'm free in Christ. But am I under law? I am under the law of Christ. I am to operate in the love of God. In fact, I want to give you a verse, 1 Corinthians 9.21. You can look at it with me if you'd like, but I want to read it from a different translation than I usually use. It's New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 9.21. This is what the Apostle Paul said, and he's he's the grace guy, right? (laughs) He understood the message and the truth of the gospel of Christ, the message of God's grace. He said, when I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. I do not ignore, he said, but I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. I I do what? I obey the law of Christ. Is there any truth to the reality that we should live in obedience to the law of Christ? Well, certainly the Apostle Paul did, and therefore we ought to as well. We should live in obedience to the law of Christ. Now, ready for number four. This kind of, these things kind of blend together a little bit. But not only is grace not a life of lawlessness, grace is not an absence of authority. Grace is not an absence of authority, or we might even say lordship. Are we supposed to live under the authority of the Lord in our lives as grace-empowered, grace-believing favor of God experiencing believers. Absolutely, we are to still live under authority. If there are no commandments for the New Testament believer, if there is not a time where either in Scripture or by His Spirit, He speaks to us and commands us to live, act, do uh, certain things, then calling Jesus Lord is just words. It It actually means nothing. If someone said, because I'm forgiven of all my sins and I live in the grace of God, I do whatever I want, anytime I want, then when you said Jesus is Lord, you didn't mean it. And how many know, every one of us that are saved here today, we got in the kingdom of God, not only by the belief in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, but by the confession of our mouth where we said, Jesus is Lord. That means we have given him a place of higher rank than ourselves. We have made him master. We have made him king. We have given him supremacy in our lives, in our decision making, in how we conduct our our thoughts, our actions, how we treat one another. We have said, I am making Jesus the master, the Lord of my life. 
That is the qualifier, the condition to getting into the kingdom of God. That's how I receive His grace and salvation. I give Him that place where He can call the shots. You know what calling the shots is? That's Greek for commandments. Not really. But, but it means the same thing, you know. Uh, I say, Lord, I'm going to do whatever you say. That means He gives me commands. So commands are not a bad thing, are they? No, not unless they're coming from a, a bad person. But they're not. Coming from a good person, all right? Let me give you a few examples of this in Scripture, both with Jesus and the apostles. I like to, you know, explain these things so you know I'm not just talking and uh, not just making a making a good speech here. Uh, but we look at things in the Word of God. If they're not in there, forget it. If I'm telling you stuff and you can't see it in the Scripture, forget it. But uh, but John chapter 12, John, the 12th chapter. This is first of all uh, Jesus in how. Jesus conducted himself. Now we all know this, that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he was God, but he didn't function as God, right? He didn't do miracles as God. He didn't speak as God. He spoke as man inspired by the Spirit of God. And actually Jesus lived under the authority of his Father, it's interesting. Jesus himself, though he was sinless, he had committed zero sin. He had zero guilt, zero condemnation. He was completely free of that. But he still lived in obedience in under authority to the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command what I should say, and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting, life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, I speak. Well, if Jesus conducted Himself that way, Jesus being the man, (laughs) right? Uh, If He conducted Himself that way, do you think we ought to conduct ourselves that way? Even though we're forgiven of all sins and living in God's freedom, living in His grace. Come on now. It, will the Lord tell us things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, he will speak to us. He will, quote, command us, instruct us, tell us. And if we're really submitted to Him, if Jesus is really Lord, then we obey. Okay? He said in another place, and this re- re- relates to us, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me... Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So are are we supposed to keep the commandments of Jesus? Well, one, we can see not only that there are commandments of Jesus, that He does have something to say concerning your life, where you go, how you think, what you say, what you do, that we are also supposed, supposed to follow those commandments. This would be Indicative of a person who is living in the grace of God, not a person who's not. Sometimes people think, well, if you're living by commandments, then you just need to come over into God's grace. You mean like Jesus? All right. Now, Acts chapter 10. Acts the 10th chapter. Just a right turn there from where you're at. Acts the 10th chapter. 
move on over a little bit and, and get past the resurrection, we're now definitely, most certainly, in that what's called the dispensation of the grace of God. His kindness and favor towards all. In Acts chapter 10, notice with me in verse 33. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And so the apostles would use this same language that God apparently was still commanding them to do stuff. Now, I don't mean their salvation was in the, hanging in the balance, where if they, didn't, if they weren't obedient to the Lord's command, that they would just like that be separated from God. But how many know it definitely causes a problem? <laughs> when the one you have given your allegiance to, you have said, you are my Lord and Master, and he says, yes, glad to have you in the family. Here's something I want you to do. And you say, oh, no, 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 I'm under grace. You didn't by chance... God, you didn't just tell me like to do something, did you? Because <laughs> that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament where you start telling people what to do. <laughs> Apparently it's not. The Lord tells us what to do today, here and now. And how many know anytime the Lord tells you, commands you to do something, it is in your best interest to follow through. Not for fear of punishment. Not for fear of rejection. Our righteousness is settled in Christ. But it would do you good, it would do me good to obey. Why? Because obviously God wants to do something special. He wants to do something in us. He wants to do something through us. And the absence of obedience and making Him Lord in a practical application just hinders His good things from happening in, in, in our lives. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. And so as the Lord deals with you, don't let fears creep in. Oh, if I do that, what's going to happen? Man, good stuff's going to happen. When you follow His Spirit, when you follow His commands, good things are going to happen. But the flesh, you know, condemnation of the enemy, the devil, jump on your shoulder and, you know, and, and all this stuff will happen. Why? To get, to get us to try to ignore what the Lord is saying. Why, why, what does that do? It stops the plan of God from coming to pass, from being fulfilled. Nothing good would ever get done until a believer submits their heart, submits their life, their decisions to the Lordship of Christ. But when we do, man, we are set up for good things to happen. Anybody in there interested in good things happening? So I just want the Lord to move in my life. Well, that's a good thing. I want the Lord to move in my life too. Find something He told you to do and do it. That is really called faith. Faith is what accesses His grace. It all works together. Okay? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Of course, you know Paul, the apostle, wrote the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He's also the same guy who wrote Romans, which is the righteousness book, position in Christ, grace of God book. He wrote Galatians, which told people to stop being under the law of Moses and all this kind of stuff. He wrote 1 Corinthians 7. And one of the things he said in here... Of course, he was just simply answering questions. In this chapter, he was answering questions about marriage and about divorce and about remarriage. And uh, in the 10th in the verse of chapter 7, he wrote, Now to the married, I command. He does what? Commands. Yet not I, but the Lord. He says, so I'm telling you. 
this is what you should do. Yet, it's not even me. This is the Lord's command. Well, that's interesting. The Lord's command. He says a wife is not to depart from her husband. All right. He said the Lord told him that. The Lord gave him that commandment. And so when he was speaking, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. But that's very interesting to me how the Lord is giving commands in the New Testament. Under the covenant of grace. In this dispensation where our sins are all forgiven. And we are white as snow and washed by the blood of Jesus. The Lord is still giving commandments. What should we do with those commandments? (laughs) Not a lot of excitement about that word, but... The word obey does come into place here, doesn't it? <laughs> really, I've, we've studied this some, some before. But if you analyze the scripture and look at the word believe, the word believe really contains the word obey. It really means the same thing. It, it's wrong for someone to say, I believe this, but it doesn't flow out through activity in their lives. It's so many Christians living in deception. So many believers today living in deception. I believe this. I, I hold to this truth. Yet it doesn't play out in their activity. I believe God is strong, yet they live like He's weak. I believe He's the healer, yet they live, they live like He's not. I believe He provides my need, yet they freak out every time there's a financial situation. See, see how those are contradictions? If we say He is something to us, then we ought to live as if that's true. Amen. And our activities are governed by our belief in what we say we know. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so numerous places in the New Testament give us specific commands as to how we are to live and conduct ourselves. Should we view God's commands as merely options because His grace has been given to us once for all? Should we view them now because we're not under Old Testament? Should we view them as suggestions? Or good ideas, optional statements? Or or should we reverently honor every word he speaks and humbly submit, altering our decisions, altering our our, our lives to align with his unchanging word? That is the grace of God. That is living in his favor and his kindness. But knowing how much he loves you, Man, that should be freeing to all of us. If ever he tells me to do something and my mind immediately says, bad idea. (laughs) First, God is smarter than me. And second, he loves me. And he's not telling me to do things that are going to end up in my demise, end up with me suffering. He's telling me to do things and uh, and not only whatever he wants to happen is going to happen, but I'm going to be better off for it. And ultimately, both well, actually both here in this life and in that which is to come, I'm going to be rewarded for every time I submitted myself to His unchanging Word. Every time the Lord spoke, I said, yes, sir, you are the man. I'd be happy to do that. Be thrilled to be a part of your plan and a part of your kingdom. Amen, amen, amen. What about repentance? Where, where does that come into play? Are our New Testament believers supposed to repent are New Testament believers supposed to have that activity going on in, your, in their lives? Or is that merely something that takes place at the point of salvation when we give our lives to the Lord and then beyond that it doesn't play out anymore? Well, this is also a, a subject that is very relevant to a New Testament believer's life. A New Testament grace-empowered, spirit-filled believer 
still may have times where they need to change. And how many know repentance does mean change? It is a change of mind. It is a change of direction. Now, when you give your heart and life to the Lord, that's the change. We're going one way, and now I'm going the Lord's way. But have you ever found yourself doing the wrong thing, going the wrong direction since you got saved? Well, that would mean that repentance then would be applicable to your life, and it would be right to to use that. To simply ignore wrongdoing committed because we are forgiven in Christ is also to ignore the relational component to our union with Him, to our relationship with Him. You see, if if I relate to the Lord like this, I'm forgiven, I'm under the blood, I'm operating in your grace, and so if I, then I do something that is a direct offense to the plan, the word, the will of God for my life, and I just look at that and completely ignore it and say, but I'm under grace, so my sins are forgiven, I'm making a true statement because Jesus isn't going back to the cross. <laughs> really, he already did deal with that sin, but I'm missing the relational component that is supposed to exist between me and the Lord. And that is, uh, I think I shared this briefly about using the example of my wife last week in a little bit different context. But if I sin against her, we're still married. But it does cause a problem, <laughs> right? It, it is a hindrance to our walk and relationship with each other, uh, but we're still married. You're not out of God's kingdom by sinning, but to completely ignore it is rude, You know what I mean by that? Uh, It's not that God is holding it against us, but it it would relationally be proper. It would be respectful. It would be honoring to God if you deal with it and you acknowledge it. You know the book of 1 John. Why don't you look over there with me? The book of 1 John. And uh, the first chapter. 1 John chapter 1, they were, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but they were dealing in this particular book, I say they, the Apostle John, inspired by the Lord, dealing with some funky beliefs that had crept into the church through a group that would later be known as, as a group called the Gnostics or Gnosticism, it had to do with knowledge and knowledge being everything, and they would deny flesh, they would deny sin, they, they would, because it was of the flesh, they'd say it just didn't exist at all, and, and, and basically he dealt with them, and in the ninth verse, many of us know this verse, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, what, what's happening there is sometimes because people have been exposed to the message of God's love, His righteousness, His grace, and they know that sins are dealt with past, present, and even future, they, they dismiss verses like this saying that, you would, that a believer should confess their sins and they'll be forgiven of their sins because they say, I'm already forgiven in Christ, so what does that have to do with my life? Everybody with me? But if when you read the context, he's simply talking about people who will deny it or acknowledge it. Deny it and you live in darkness. You remain living in a dark place or acknowledge it. What? Acknowledge the sin and acknowledge the blood of Jesus that has been shed for that sin. 
that Jesus has already washed it away. You acknowledge it and then you're free from it. What do you mean free from it? Right up here. Free in your heart, free in your mind, free in this union and relationship you have with God. But we do not want to go around just like robots and, and, you know, just the mechanical approach to our relationship with God saying, well, positionally, legally, this is my right, this is who I am in Christ, and do away with the practical application of God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord. He is my friend. He's the one I serve. He's the one I love. And, and what, you know what we want around here. We are not just interested in positional truths. Although that's the foundation of who we are, what we have in Christ. I, I am interested in a walk with God. A relationship with Him where we talk, where we fellowship, where He speaks to me and I speak to Him. Where we walk together and commune like Enoch of old who did it for, for a long time. <laughs> and, and one day was just gone. He was just out of there. He had such a union with the Lord, a walk with God. You don't do that by just being robotic and just stating the way things are legally. This is a fellowship that we have with Him. And so when there is mistake, when there is sin, when there is error, we're not saying Jesus' blood was not sufficient to cleanse me and forgive me of all all these things. But Father, I did this. I know this annoys you. (laughs) I know this is relationally not kosher here. This is not not good. Man, I did that. It's acknowledgement. But thank you that the blood of Jesus has been shed. My sins have been washed away. That I am right with you today. I thank you that you still look favorably and kindly towards me. And Lord, I, I, I resubmit again my life to you. I'm going to do what you say. When I know what's right to do, I'm going to do it every time. Come on, that's respectful. That's honoring to the Lord. That treats him like he's a real person and not just a, not just a, a figurehead. Not just a, not just a law in heaven, a God in heaven, not just a computer of some kind. No, he's your dad. Our hearts cry out, Daddy God, Abba Father, right? This is a, this is a love relationship we are supposed to have with him. This is not a religious set of regulations and rules and just facts we live by. He is God. He is real. The Lord Jesus is with you. He said he would never leave you or forsake you. Don't live or act or think or breathe like he's not present at all times. And if something is done wrong, is something, and we've all been in that situation, what should you do? Man, acknowledge it, but then acknowledge that he's already died for your sins too. Acknowledge that the work of Christ is done. And all is good. Yay! Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And so, when it comes to the grace of God, it's a wonderful thing. But let's use our brains, our spirit-anointed, <laughs> grace, grace-empowered brains, and treat God like he's real like he's a person. Amen. And uh, I know some say, well, the Holy Spirit will never, ever talk to you about anything except for that, the fact that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's just not true either. That's not true. It's taken, it's taken certain scriptures to an extreme and not dealing with the whole counsel of God. I mean, didn't the Bible say uh, it, over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in fact, put that up. It says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, who's the inspirer? That would be the Holy Spirit. 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If God will never deal with me about anything, if the Holy Spirit will never deal with my heart about anything except for the fact that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then that means he's not going to work with the word. He's not going to work with scripture. Because the scripture was given for certain intent to bring me to a place of maturity. To bring me to a place where I am grown up in the things of God and I live like a son and not just a child. Where I live, live as someone who has, has a mind that is influenced by the mind of Christ. Praise the Lord. These are the things the Lord wants us to understand. So we walk in His grace. Absolutely. We walk in His blessing. In His fullness. In His plan. And nothing keeps us away from that. I love the grace of God. Don't you love the Lord? Amen. He has only good things planned for your life. If you feel beat up and if you feel feel like, man, it's just hard to serve God. It's hard to be accepted and loved by Him. You're believing the wrong thing. Know that His favor is for you today. And you may have messed up a thousand and one times yesterday. <laughs> Do you know He still loves you today? Do you know His kindness is still outstretched towards you? The Bible says that it is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. It's His goodness that will lead you home today. Amen? Amen.